How'd you guys say uh, what some of your favorite meals were? And then Jackie asked me what a favorite meal would be for me. And honestly, and I, I love all food. I try not to play favorites. Um, but I would say probably have to have fried okra in there somewhere. Uh, I don't know what the entree is, but man, if it's got fried okra, it's a good meal. It's a good day. Um, but really, man, just about anything is going to make me happy uh, when it comes to food. Uh, we're going to be talking about a really special meal in the Bible uh, a little bit later. Is why I had you guys talk about meals. It wasn't just being random. Um, we're going to con- we're continuing a series here tonight uh, that we kicked off two weeks ago called Greatest Hits. Uh, we're looking at the greatest hits, key important moments of the Old Testament, uh, and and just taking that that lens of a greatest hits album. Man, you guys know you guys probably have a greatest hits album somewhere there in the record collection. Uh, you know, an artist that that uh, man, they've got a bazillion songs that say, "Hey, I've got their greatest hits album," so I've got like the ten or twelve really good ones, right? Um, I, I know the important stuff. I know I know the broad stroke stuff, and so. Uh, and your, the Old Testament of your Bible is, is massive, right? Hundreds of pages. It's a lot to digest and it's a lot to cover, um, but it's also extremely important. And so with a little bit of the purpose of this series is to take that greatest hits approach to the Old Testament. What are the key important takeaway moments uh, of the Old Testament? If I don't know anything else, man, what, what, are, the, what are the things I really need to know that are going to help lay the, the groundwork uh, for, for what we see happen in the New Testament, what we see in the, the life and person of Jesus uh, these key moments in the Old Testament that lay the foundation uh, for our faith, help us understand God's purpose in this world and God's purpose uh, for us as individuals. Um, so we're not going to try to tackle it all. Uh, and and man, there's a lot of good stuff there that we're not even going to get to touch on. Man, and I'm encouraging you guys man, to be digging in the Bible on your own, right? In your own personal time with God, uh, digging into scriptures and find all the good juicy stuff that I'm skipping over and missing, right? But we're, just, we're hitting just a, six of the big key moments in the Old Testament uh, during this series, greatest hits, uh, the big key concepts to give us a framework um, to understand the rest of our faith. So two weeks ago, we kicked it off with track number one. Track number one, do you guys remember what it was called? Track one, the first hit single, Genesis 1. Made in God's image. Made in God's image, yeah, made in the image of God. Um, and we talked about how uh, human beings were made in God's image. Uh, that every single person that you meet, every man, woman, and child that you made is made in the image of God. And because they're made in the image of God, they have dignity, they have value, they have worth. You're not going to meet any accidents. And you yourself are not an accident. You're not random molecules bouncing around in the universe that happen to stick together and look just like you, right? Uh, that you, you're too special for that, right? That you are you made on purpose, intentionally, in God's image. Uh, all of us are. And every person you ever meet, made in God's image. So that person deserves dignity. And respect and honor as, as an image bearer of God. And we talked about that, that, that in the body of Christ as believers, that's why prejudice can have no place at all. That's why racism has no place at all. Because each and every one of us are made in God's image, so we ought to love each other, respect each other as image bearers of God. And, with, and we talked about how man, sin entered the picture uh, and, and it corrupted that image, right? We weren't reflecting God, God's image as we should. Um, and we fell away from God, but God made a plan right there at the beginning. Right there at the beginning of the story to set things right. And to restore us again. Last week we talked about track two, the covenant, the promise that God made with Abraham. We talked about the deep cut, uh, that, that, uh, the, the promise that God made to Abraham that he's going to bless him, uh, bless his descendants, and eventually bless all the world through him. And we talked about, man, what that means for us, uh, and what it means for us to enter into those same promises of blessings that God gave Abraham when we put our trust uh, in Jesus. So tonight we're going to continue with track number three. 
Track number three is going to be called For Our Good Always. For Our Good Always. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be picking up in Exodus uh, chapter 1. If you don't have your Bibles, man, the words are going to be up there. And if you missed any of these first two, two tracks and wanted to check them out, all of our messages are available uh, online. You can check those out um, at kylefamemphis.com. Uh, and there's also a podcast on iTunes where you can listen to those tracks as well and get caught up on what you missed. Uh, or you can borrow your neighbor's notes and look it over and say, hey, explain to me what we talked about last week. Also, the life groups are a great way to get caught up and discuss um, and some of the things we talked about on Thursday nights. Uh, picking up, giving you guys a chance to turn to Exodus chapter 1. Um, to set it up a little bit, man, taking off of where we left off with Abraham last week. So Abraham, God does keep his promise uh, to give Abraham children, right? Uh, Abraham man, has, has a son uh, with one of his wife's uh, handmaidens, uh, has, has a son named Ishmael, uh, eventually has a son with his, his wife, uh, has a son named Isaac. Um, Isaac uh, will have a son named Jacob. Uh, Jacob will have 12 sons, right? He has a lot. And these 12 sons will go on to uh, and be, the, be the forefathers of the 12 tribes of, of Israel. Um, the, these 12 sons... Uh, they, they end up settling uh, in Egypt during a period of famine in the land where their, their brother Joseph has become the governor of, of, of Egypt, and, and they come and dwell there because they've got a lot of food there and supplies, and, and some of the other regions were in famine. And so they end up settling in Egypt, and they have kids, whose kids have kids, whose kids have kids. And, and from this small uh, family, from Abraham, from this one old guy that God promised to bless, uh, we saw a, a nation uh, begin to grow from their descendants. We're going to pick up in Exodus chapter 1, starting in verse 6. Exodus 1, starting in verse 6. In time, Joseph and all his brothers died, ending that entire generation. But their descendants, the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful and filled the land. Eventually, a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done, and he said to his people, Look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, and if war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us, and then they'll escape from the country. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build the cities of Python, and Ramses as supply centers for the king. So they said, hey, there's a lot of these Israelites. Um, we like having them here, but they're going to they're gonna overrun us. Uh, we're we're going to make them our slaves. We're going we're gonna to, and through hard labor, kind of keep them underfoot. We're going to keep them here to work for us, uh, but we're going to keep them as slaves. And so the, the people that God promised to Abraham, this people... Uh, that that he said he's going to create out of his his lineage, um, and they ended up slaves. And God God told them, God told Abraham, you guys might remember from last week, God told Abraham this was going to happen, that there would be a period of 400 years that these guys would be, uh, that that his descendants would be in slavery, but that God promised uh, to send a deliverer. So God has this plan to deliver his people from slavery just as he promised, and he's going to use a man named Moses. Can I say Moses. Moses is going to be our key figure tonight. Moses to do that. If you're not familiar with Moses' story, here's Moses' story in brief. So the, the Israelites have become slaves. They're, they're, they're hard at work. Uh, they're, they're for the Egyptian people. And uh, God, God, God says, I'm going to send a deliverer, someone to lead my people out of slavery, uh, and a baby boy named Moses is born. 
the, the king uh, issues a command that all the Israelite baby boys in the kingdom need to be killed. Uh, and Moses' mom, to protect him, hides him in a basket and places him in the Nile River, uh, where he floats safely uh, and, and ends up uh, coming across the Pharaoh's daughter as she's there bathing in the river. The Pharaoh's daughter uh, takes the baby in uh, into, and into, the, into the, the, the king's palace and, and raises him as if, as if he were her own. So Moses... Israelite, you know, slave baby, and grows up in the king's house uh, like a prince, right? He grows up as royalty. Um, fast forward into to, to Moses' adulthood. Uh, he sees the oppression of the Israelites. He sees one, one Israelite slave being treated very badly and strikes out and, and kills the slave master and flees into the wilderness to escape. Uh, Moses, there in the wilderness, comes across man, a, a, a traveling tribe of, of, of people, um, herdsmen, and uh, falls in love with a girl like you do, right, and uh, marries her, uh, and this guy who, who was, he was a slave, and then he was a prince in the palace, and now he's a shepherd, right, and taking care, uh, taking care of sheep, taking care of livestock, and then this goes on for years and years and years until God gets a hold of him, right, God appears to him, uh, and, and, and while he's out in the wilderness, God appears to him in, the, in a form of a burning bush, and I don't know what it looks like, a bush on fire, I guess, but not consumed, um, this is the second time we see that fire imagery. We had fire imagery last week, the fire that passed through the, the pieces during the covenant. And here we see that fire imagery again uh, as, as God appears uh, to Moses. And he says, Moses, I'm going to send you back to Egypt. He says, God, I just left Egypt you know, a few years. I'm, I'm happy here. I got my wife. I'm settled in. And this is the life uh, out here. And he says, no, I'm sending you back to Egypt because I want you to deliver my people. And we're going to pick up in verse uh, Verse 7 here of uh, Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, verse 7. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the land of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land. Uh, he, says, he says, I've got a plan. I've seen the suffering of my people uh, and I, and I want to lead them out. I want to deliver them, uh, and I'm sending you to do it. Of course, man, he goes back and forth about all the reasons why it shouldn't be him. But end of the day, God asks you to do something. Sarah, what do you do? do it. Yeah, you do it, right? You can't. It's, you can't really say no to God. So, 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 so God, God sends him to go. Uh, he brings he brings his brother Aaron with him, and they're going to go speak to the Pharaoh and say, Hey, I need you to let all God's people go. I need you to let 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 all these Israelites go. Let them go free. All your slaves, they need to go free. Um, what do you think Pharaoh has to say about that? No, right? If you, if you go speak to the king and say, hey, I, I want you, all of your labor force, just, just dismiss them. Let them go free. Um, he's he's going to say no to that, right? So they go and they speak to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh does, does say no. Um, and God knew that he would. Um, and and so, so through Moses and Aaron, um, and God pr- uh, produces a series of, of miracles, uh, miracles to demonstrate the power of God uh, so that the Pharaoh will, will relent and be willing to let God's people go. Uh, these miracles are in the form of plagues, ten man, terrible plagues that come upon uh, the, the Egyptian people there. There are locusts and frogs and boils on their skin. Uh, the, the Nile River turns to blood at one point. Gross, gruesome stuff. You can read it there later. Um, uh, and after each of these plagues, I mean, they, ask, they ask Pharaoh again, hey, will you let my people go? And God's telling you, let, let his people go. And, and Pharaoh says, no, Pharaoh's heart is, is hardened. He's unwilling to let the people go. Uh, so finally, we get to the, the tenth plague. Um, 
And, and, and for the 10th plague, man, God's going to send an angel and wipe out the firstborn son in every household in Egypt. Um, and just terrible, absolutely terrible. So, so that the, the, the stubborn, prideful heart of Pharaoh would finally break and say, okay, you can, your people can go. Um, and, and so, so, so God, uh, God, God tell, tells Moses his plan. Um, and the purpose is that he's going to spare his people. He says that this angel is going to come and the firstborn child of every family in the land is going to die but if you do this, then, then your sons will be spared. And he gives them instructions for uh, a very special uh, meal called the Passover. Uh, we talked about, we're talking about a special meal tonight. That's what the meal is. It's called the Passover. He says, during this meal, you're going to take a lamb, right? And you're going to sacrifice that lamb. And you're going put to the, put the blood on the, the top, top posts and sides of the house there. Um, and then you guys, your family's going to eat that, that lamb Together, you guys are going to have a special meal there together. And when the angel passes over to bring judgment upon the land, when he sees that blood on the doorpost, he's going to pass over your house, right? Judgment's going to pass over you. That's where the name Passover comes from, is that judgment will pass over you because of the blood of this land. And so the Israelite families, they're careful to do this. They're careful to follow the instructions with the blood. They have the meal together. Uh, and and, and, and the, the angel does pass over them. Uh, all the other sons uh, there in the land die except for the Israelite son. And the, and the Pharaoh's heart is broken, of course. Uh, and he finally does relent and agrees to let the people go. Understanding this Passover meal is extremely important to us. Um, it's a meal that the Israelites uh, would continue to celebrate throughout the ages. So they, they celebrated this one time in Egypt, but then they would continue to celebrate it throughout the ages to remember what God had done to deliver them miraculously. And Jewish people still celebrate Passover today, right? And even, even, even Jewish Christians will still celebrate this Passover meal today to remember God's deliverance uh, and remember, remember what God had done for them. Um, and it's also important to us to understand Passover uh, because it serves as a symbol for God's ultimate plan to deliver us from sin and deliver us from the bondage of death uh, that's achieved through His Son, Jesus. Um, Jesus becomes the ultimate Passover lamb. The, the stuff, the imagery we see with the Passover here in Exodus is just a foreshadowing of what we're going to see happen with Jesus, uh, whose sacrifice, whose shed blood means that uh, judgment passes over us as well. Uh, when we put our trust in Jesus' shed blood on the cross and the judgment that we deserve for our sins will pass over us because it's taken on Jesus instead. Um, when John the Baptist first sees Jesus, right? And this is, this is 15... Hundred years, you know, after the Exodus, when Jesus is born, and uh, you know, Jesus grows to adulthood and steps into ministry. When John the Baptist first sees Jesus, he calls down and he says, "Look!" You know, calling out to everybody around him, "Look! It's the Lamb of God. He's here to take away the sins of the world." And it's not an accident that he chose that chose that name, picked that nickname there, the Lamb of God. This is the this is the ultimate Passover Lamb. We've been celebrating the Passover for centuries, but here comes the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sins of the world. Paul talks about Jesus and, and remembering, man, that all, all that, that, that God's done, um, all that God's done for us through Christ Jesus. And, and he says in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate Passover lamb, sacrificed for us uh, so that judgment could pass over us, so that we don't get what we deserve. And that's grace, right? That's the good news of the gospel, that I deserve uh, not the blessings of God, right? I deserve judgment. I deserve separation from God. 
But because of God's grace, because of what Jesus did on the cross, because of Jesus' blood, and that judgment passes over me, and instead of getting the judgment I deserve, I get love, I get peace, I get joy, I get welcomed into a family, um, and I, man, I get a God that loves me and blesses me, uh, probably spoils me. You know, He's so good to us. He's so good to us. Um, so continuing in the story of the Exodus, God delivers the Israelites, and he leads them out of Egypt and out into the wilderness. And there in the wilderness, he makes, uh, just as he'd made a covenant with their forefather, Abraham, he makes a covenant with the people of Israel. Um, and so we're going to pick up in Exodus chapter 19, uh, starting in verse 3. As God makes a covenant here, here with the people of Israel. It says, Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, and he said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you're to tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt, how I carried you out on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me faithfully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God says, I, I want to make a covenant with you as a people. I want to make a, a promise that, to you as a people that if you fulfill all the things in this covenant, if you obey me, if you're faithful to me, you are going to be my treasured possession. You know, I remember we talked about last week, why did God want a special people for himself? Because God loves the whole world, right? God loves all people, all human beings, everyone that's made in his image. Man, God loves them all. Why pick a special people for himself? And the purpose, the plan of God is I want a special people that I can just bless like crazy so all the other peoples of the world will take notice and be like, what God you worship? Because this, uh, this rock over here that I've got, that I, that I painted, painted a face on, uh, that, I, that I prayed to eight times a day, he's not getting it done. What God are you worshiping? Because he's blessing you like crazy. That's the plan of God, right? I want a special people. I want a people I can spoil, right? Because some days you guys will have kids, and you can, you can spoil them rotten. Especially when you have grandkids, I hear. You know, you can just spoil them like crazy. Uh, God says, I'm going to make a people for myself that I can just bless like crazy. And all the nations of the world will take notice, and, and, and they'll come and they'll worship me as well. Uh, and it says, I'm choosing you, Israel, to be that special people. I'm making a covenant with you. If you obey me, if you, if you follow these careful instructions, and you're going to be my people, uh, and you're going to be my treasured possession. Um, God then delivers to them the terms of the covenant. These are commands and instructions that they're to obey as God's people. So in chapter 20, uh, we see the famous Ten Commandments. Um, and, and so, so man, some of you guys can recite the Ten Commandments. Some of you guys maybe heard the word Ten Commandments, but probably couldn't say any of them. Uh, and and so, so check that out later. You can jot down Exodus chapter 20. These are the Ten Commandments, the Ten, uh, and the, 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 moral, uh, the moral laws, uh, the, the rest of the law will hang on, these, these Ten Commands uh, that, that God gives to the people. Um, in chapters 21 through 31, there's several other commands and instructions about how to live, how to worship, uh, more instructions appear in Leviticus and Deuteronomy as well. Some of these are moral laws. Some of these things are, are things that are morally wrong, and God wants to be clear through his law they're morally wrong. Like do not kill, and do not steal, and do not commit adultery, and do not lie. Things that are morally wrong, and that pretty universally agreed upon would be, be morally wrong. Um, but he says these things are immoral. Do not do these things. Uh, some of the instructions are these moral laws. Some instructions are ceremonial laws. This is the way that, that I want you to live. These are the kind of things I want you to eat and how I want you to eat them. This is how I, I want you to dress and conduct yourselves. This is how I want you to keep yourselves physically clean. 
this is how I want you to construct a tent, a tabernacle to worship me in, where the priests will serve me and make sacrifices. And these are some very particular instructions on how those sacrifices are to be made. I want these kind of animals and not, not these ones over here, and I want you to do it like this and all these kind of things. So many instructions. And as you read in the Old Testament, you may be like, this is a lot of rules. These are a lot of instructions that it's okay to think do not seem to apply to me, right? But they, they have a purpose. They have a purpose. And we'll touch on that in a minute. Um, but lots and lots of rules, lots and lots of instructions for them to obey. Again, some of them moral. Some things are, hey, do not do these things because they're immoral. They're wrong. Uh, the things that are, that are boiled down, Jesus tells us in the New Testament, the two big ones, and love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Right? That, that if you want to kind of understand God's moral law, if you get those two, if you love God with all your heart and you love other people as yourself, then, then you're, you're going to do all right at keeping God's moral law. And then you have these hundreds of ceremonial laws uh, and just ways that you should live. Uh, and, uh, and we're going to touch more on a bit on to what degree uh, those laws, man, what, what do they still matter today? Why are they still relevant to us today? But God concludes, man, all of this here in Exodus with, with this here in uh, Exodus chapter 34, verse 27. Uh, then the Lord said to Moses, write down all these instructions, for they represent the terms of the covenant I'm making with you and with Israel. So he says, I've, I've given you a lot of instructions, a lot of rules. If you obey these, we're in covenant. Uh, I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. And I'm going to bless you like crazy. Uh, man, these are the rules I've, I've laid out. Um, and if you accept them, if you're obedient, uh, and, and, he, and he lists out, man, so many blessings. In Deuteronomy, he says, I'm going to bless you all these kind of ways uh, if, if you obey me, if you're in covenant with me. So why so many rules? It's hundreds and hundreds of rules, right? Fill in Exodus. Fill in Leviticus, fill in Deuteronomy, and the rest of Scripture too, right? But we're just talking about these, these laws here from Moses. Uh, so many laws, so many rules. Why, why so many rules? Um, any of you guys read the University of Memphis student handbook? No. <laughs> Anybody? One hand? What's the, a lot of rules in the student handbook? Nothing. Nothing compared to the amount of rules that are, that are here in, the, uh, in Moses', in Moses' uh, man, covenant, their law. Uh, but, but yeah, a lot of rules. Why, why are those rules there in your, in your student handbook? For liability reasons. For liability, yeah, to keep the university from getting sued. Uh, but it, more generally, for your good, right? Because, to keep you safe on campus? No, just to keep, the, keep university property safe, to keep university investments safe, to make university money. Um, lots of rules there. Uh, so what, why does God have so many rules here for his people? Um, does God want to control, micromanage every single detail of your life? Why does God feel like he needs to do that, right? You may, you may wonder that. God, why so many rules? Why can't I just kind of live how I want to live, right? And, and, and why are there there's so many rules, so many things for me to observe and obey? So Jackie and I have three kids, if you don't know. Uh, our oldest is nine, almost ten years old, Thomas. We've got two little girls uh, as well, and uh, we have rules in our house too. Right? There's things our kids cannot do. Uh, they cannot jump off the furniture. Uh, they cannot punch, hit, kick each other. Right? Um, yeah, they have to. They have to eat vegetables before they can have dessert. You know, those kind of things. Just terrible, terrible, awful, evil things. Um, these rules that I impose upon my kids. Some of these rules my kids do not understand and do not agree with. They still got to obey them, right? Uh, but they don't understand them. Um, and, 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 but the purpose for all the rules that Jackie and I set is for our kids' good, 
And we set these rules for their good, to keep them healthy, right? They have to eat their vegetables before they can have, before they can have M&Ms because it's healthy for their bodies, right? If I just let them eat whatever they wanted to eat, and they would be malnourished. Uh, they would probably try to survive on, on lollipops and M&Ms and oatmeal cream pies and uh, flaming Hot Cheetos. I'm trying to think what's all the favorite snacks right now. Anyway, they would never touch a vegetable uh, at all. No vegetables. <laughs> Uh, maybe a banana in there somewhere. Um, I, I have rules about, and there's certain things you've got to eat, and it's for their good, right? And it's for their good. I've got rules about how they need to treat each other, and it's for their good, for their safety. So they are not injured, so we don't have to drive to the emergency room, so they stay alive. You know, you, you, can't, you can't climb up on the roof, right? Because I don't want you to fall off and break your neck, right? You can't, can't punch your sister, uh, you know, to protect you and also to, uh, to protect her, but then also because also that's just not how we should treat each other, right? And so we got all kinds of rules, and some rules they think is unfair, unjust, they're not right, but I know as a parent who loves them, and all these rules are for their good. And God is the exact same way, and he's a good father, and all the rules that he lays out for us are for our good as well, to bless us and to keep us safe. This is going to be the key verse that everything's going to kind of hang on tonight. It says in Deuteronomy Chapter 6, verse 24. Deuteronomy 6, 24. The Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes to fear the Lord for our good always. All these laws, all these rules, I mean, I know there's a lot of them. God says all these rules are here for your good always. You may not understand them all. You may not agree with them all. But if you trust that God loves you, he's a good father, he has the best in mind for you. It says all these laws here, all these rules are for your good, always, always. Some of them you can understand. Like you see, do not murder. Okay, I can see how that would probably be a better society if folks didn't murder each other, right? Do not steal. You know, we're going we're gonna to be a better, a better community, a better country if, if folks aren't stealing. So some of these are obvious. Some of these are less obvious. Like, God, why do you care? And why do you care about this? Why do you care about this aspect over here? Why do you care how I handle this? Um, that seems like none of your business, right? And... And, and, and God says, you've got to trust me. This is for your good. For your good always. I don't have any rules here that are not for your good. Um, God's commands are for our good always. He says, here's a better way to live. I'm the one who created you. I know what's best for you. I love you. And that's why I give you these rules for your good. Not to control us. Not to keep us from having fun. Uh, in the same way a lifeguard is not trying to ruin your day at the pool when they tell you don't run on the edge of the pool or don't wrestle next to the pool. They're not there to ruin your fun. Uh, they're there for what? To keep you safe, keep you alive, keep you from breaking your neck on the edge of the pool. Uh, and, and, and they want you to have fun, right? In the same way, I mean, God wants you to enjoy this life. And he's given you so much in this life to enjoy. And he says, man, if you, if you obey these rules, your life is going to be more blessed, more enjoyable. The, these, these rules are here for your good, to protect you, keep you healthy and safe, but, but then but also so you can fully enjoy all that I've given you. Um, they're there to keep you safe. He knows what's best. And even if we don't understand the why of it, and there's plenty, man, that I don't understand the why. It's like, God, why is that there? It'd be a great question for when we get to heaven, right? There's stuff I don't understand, but I trust you. I trust you've got, got what's best in mind for me. I trust that you're a good God. You're a good father. Uh, and the same way my kids don't understand the why of it, um, but, but it's for their good. In the same way, he promises us, it's for our good always. For our good always. And some of you guys need to remind yourself of Deuteronomy 6.24 when you're, when you're thinking, about, thinking about just obeying God and, and, and the, you know, what, what God has for your life. And, and, and God, why these things? And think, okay, it's for my good. I don't understand it. But God, you promised it's for my good. 
always. So the law is good, but it is impossible for us to keep. It's a paradox. The law is good. God's rules are good. He says they're for your good always, but they're impossible for us to keep. We all sin and disobey God sometimes. No one can live perfectly 100% of the time. And there's times we all blow it. There's times we all screw up. There's times we all know what we should do and we don't do it. Or we know there's something we shouldn't do and we do that all the time, all the time. Um, so God, is, God made provision there in the law uh, for sacrifices um, that would allow, allow his people to be forgiven when they messed up. It says, it says, I know this is a lot of rules uh, and I'm gracious and merciful to you. So, so, so when you sin, uh, I've made provision for the sins to be forgiven. And he says, and that's why there's so many rules about sacrificing animals. And I know, man, as, as someone sitting here in 2017 in the modern world, and you're reading the Bible, and you're reading about sacrificing all these animals, it can seem, man, really, really archaic and, and gruesome. And like, why in the world, um, you know, looking through a modern, a modern lens? But, but this is God's grace, His provision. So, so that punishment didn't have to be laid upon them. And as part of man, the cosmic law of the universe, uh, evil and sin has to be punished. Um, God's a good God. He's a good judge of the universe. And that means, that means all, all evil and rebellion and has to be punished. But God in His grace has made a way for that punishment not to come to you. That, that we don't have to be destroyed for the evil that we do. Uh, that that can be transferred. That can be passed, passed on uh, so that we could receive grace and mercy. And so, so for a period of time, that was through, through these animal sacrifices. But that was only for a season as a way to foreshadow the ultimate sacrifice that would come through Jesus. Jesus on the cross is that once and for all sacrifice. That's why we don't still sacrifice pigeons and doves and bulls and rams, right? They, we're not going to, later, after I'm done talking, we're not going like, to pull out a, no, no. In fact, I, we already said last week I'm squeamish. I would be so grossed out. I couldn't do it. Guys, I couldn't hang in ancient Egypt. I couldn't do it. Um, I'm so thankful that, man, Jesus was that once and for all sacrifice. All these things we see about sacrifices, when you guys are reading that in the Old Testament, um, it should make you think about Jesus, man, the once and for all sacrifice for our sins. All these things are foreshadowing to that. And also to just show us, man, how serious God is about sin. How seriously he takes it. He doesn't play around with it. God's holy um, and he's serious about sin. Um, the, the, those animal sacrifices were a temporary measure, that once and for all sacrifice uh, we have in Christ. And also in Christ is freedom from all of those ceremonial cleanliness laws. I told you there's lots of rules, lots of instructions there in the law about wearing your clothes just so, growing out your hair just so, eat this food, but don't eat this food over here. Those things that were uh, to, keep the, to keep the people ceremonial, ceremonially clean and set apart from the other nations of the world. Uh, and, and some of them were, were health stuff. If, you, if you're living in ancient times, um, and certain kinds of foods, if they're not prepared the right way, will kill you, right? Like if you don't pre prepare pork the right way, uh, you can get really sick, right? If you don't prepare seafood the right way, you can get really sick, you know. So some of these laws, when we, we think of them in, in those, that kind of ancient context, God's trying to keep his people alive, right? Uh, that, that, that a lot of these laws we're set free from in Jesus. We don't still have to keep all those ceremonial laws. The moral laws, don't kill, don't steal, don't commit adultery. Those things are always wrong. They'll be wrong for all time. The ceremonial laws, like, uh, man, if you sin, you need to sacrifice a couple pigeons. 
uh, or, or man, you need to, to wear these kind of clothes and don't mix these kind of clothes and these kind of clothes together. Uh, and all those kind of things are not things we still need to observe today. When we read that, we can think, and that was something ceremonially to keep the people of Israel set apart from the other nations so they could be distinct as God's chosen people. Uh, but that's something I'm free from in Christ. It's not a law I still have to observe. I'm going to keep the moral laws with God's help, um, but, but we're free from those ceremonial ones. Um, also, man, free from those ceremonial laws, we no longer need to worship God with, with priests going before as our mediators. Uh, man, each and every one of us can come boldly into God's presence through the blood of Jesus. We've got direct communion, direct relationship with God when we put our trust in Jesus. God lives in us and through us by His Holy Spirit. We have a closeness that they couldn't even imagine then. Uh, and we're made right with God, not because of what we do or what we don't do, um, but completely by the sacrifice of Jesus. So like I said, uh, man, even though we're free from those ceremonial laws, man, we still have to observe those moral laws uh, that we find throughout Scripture. And just like it is for the Israelites, um, and those laws are difficult for us to keep, uh, impossible for us to keep because of our human nature. Uh, me and Chris were talking about this uh, earlier this week. Why is it that when people see rules, we want to do the opposite, right? If there wasn't a rule, we may not even think to do the thing. But the minute there's a rule, our human nature thinks, where's the loophole? Where's the workaround? How can I get around this? How can I figure out how to do this even though I know it's wrong? Um, the, the, I mean, I, I know that stop sign means stop. Uh, but here's why it doesn't apply to me right now, see? Uh, or, I mean, I know there's a speed limit, and I, I could probably reason why there's a speed limit, but I'm going to justify that doesn't apply to me in this circumstance right now. I was driving home from school, driving the kids home from school today, uh, and, and my youngest is in the back seat. Uh, so, yeah, I gotta go to the bathroom. I gotta go to the bathroom. So, okay, I'm gonna put, uh, put, 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 the, uh, put the gas down a little bit. We're gonna speed up to get you home because I don't want any accidents in the van, right? So, um, so, I, so I started speeding. The older two, and they, they catch me. Dad, you can't speed on this road. The speed limit's 30, and you're going however fast. Uh, and, uh, the, we, we do that. We think, man, in this situation, I know there's a rule. I know there's a law, but in this situation, it doesn't apply to me. That's human nature, right? We see a rule, and we look for the loophole. We look for a way around it, uh, because deep down, for whatever reason, we think this law doesn't really apply to me. Uh, deep down, maybe we don't really trust that that law, that rule is for our good, that, that man, this isn't really what's best for us. Um, and then we do the same thing with God's law as well, uh, that, that we see those rules, and, and we know they're good, we know, man, I really ought to do that, uh, but that sinful nature, that human part of us is like, but where's the loophole? Like, how can I still kind of do the thing? but not like totally do the thing? Or how can, I, how can I say, well, that doesn't really apply to me now because in whatever kind of justification, uh, man, that's what we try to do. Um, we're looking for loopholes. Deep down, we don't really believe these laws are for our good. We don't believe they should apply to us. Um, jump, jumping into the, a couple of New Testament scriptures. Uh, Paul says that in this way, uh, the law for us as Christians becomes like a mirror. Um, that, again, none of us can keep the law perfectly. It's impossible, right? We're always going to screw up. All of us are going to fall short. Uh, and for us, the, mall, the, the, the law uh, that we see there in the Old Testament becomes like a mirror that we hold up to our lives, and we see all the places that we fall short, and we see how desperately we need a Savior. Take a look at Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 20. Romans 3, starting in verse 20. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. 
But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writing of Moses and the prophets long ago. We're made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, and this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. It's absolutely brilliant, absolutely brilliant way for us to understand and process what does the law mean to us thousands of years later, right? 3,500 years later, man, what do these laws mean to us? Because, man, I've tried obeying God's law. I've tried to live right, and, and I screw up. I can't do it. It's frustrating. Uh, and Paul said, man, I know. I know it's frustrating. Uh, no, no one can be made right with God by keeping all the rules. No, one's, no one except Jesus has been able to, to live that perfect life and not break any of those rules. Um, and he says, it ends up, the law just ends up just showing us how sinful we are. We look at the law, and it's like a mirror for our hearts. And I see, man, I missed it here and here and here. I need a Savior. I need someone to save me. Um, and then Paul shares the good news of the gospel. No one's made right with God by obeying the law. We're made right with God by trusting in Jesus. Um, he says that there, there's a way to be made right with God apart from, apart from the law, and that's trusting in Jesus. And we're made right with God when we put our faith in Jesus. And he says it's true for everyone, no matter who you are. There, there's, no, there's no special case to say, well, I can't be made right with God by putting my trust in Jesus. And no, it's true for everybody. It doesn't matter who you are. None of us can, can keep the law good enough to be made right with God. We all need Jesus to save us. We need man, his perfect record to be credited to our account. Um, we, we think about, if you think about your life like a report card, right? Um, and and all, all the ways that you've lived up to God's standard for holiness, his standard for, for perfect living. And, and you could be graded on each of those. Like you could be graded on, on how good you do at uh, keeping your mouth shut when you should. And um, not not talking and not gossiping or, or lying or all the ways you now keep you in trouble. If you could have a grade there, you don't have to say what it would be. Um, if you could have a grade on how well you love other people, on on man, on how often you're selfish or prideful, man, do you love other people? Do you respect other people? Do you treat other people better than yourself? Do you put their needs ahead of your own needs? If you could have a grade there, I wonder what it would be, right? And if you just, all the different categories listed down, all the ways that, that you know God wants you to live, and if you had to really think where your life measured up, um, I don't know, I'd have like an F minus report card, right? Uh, man, man, we all would. Man, but what God does, when we put our trust in Jesus, so Jesus has perfect report card, 100, 100, 100, perfect in every category, A plus report card, he's on the principles list, and I have like the dunce cap on. Uh, <laughs> What God does, when we put our trust in Jesus and what he did on the cross to save us, God takes that, that perfect report card of Jesus and he writes your name on it. He writes Taylor on it. He writes Anna on it. Right? And he takes my F minus report card, he writes, scrolls out my name, and he writes Jesus on it. And he, he, take, he takes all the times I've screwed up and failed, and he says, I'll take that. I'll take that. Uh, so that judgment will just pass over you. You don't get grounded for eight weeks or whatever. Um, grounded for life. Uh, and you get my perfect record, that perfect A-plus, 100 report card. Uh, when God looks at you, he doesn't see all the times you've blown. When God looks at you, he doesn't see all the places that you don't measure up. Instead, he sees the perfection of Jesus because you put your trust in him. I don't trust in my ability anymore. I trust that what Jesus did on the cross is enough. When you do that, it is enough. He says that's true for everyone who believes. doesn't matter who you are. Uh, man, you could have that perfect record on your account. Be perfectly, as, as Anna was saying about earlier, perfectly clean, perfectly new, uh, by putting your trust in Jesus. So for us, 
You know, as we read and study God's law, and this is the takeaway tonight, man, it's going to serve two purposes for us. The first is that ceremonial system, that ceremony, ceremonial sacrifice system. That's a tongue twister. Say that five times fast. Uh, it reminds us of God's holiness, and it foreshadows the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus. And then two, looking at the law, God's moral law, it gives us instruction on how to live in a way that pleases God, instructions on how we should treat others. And when we mess up, it serves as a mirror showing how desperately we need a Savior, how much we need Jesus to save us. And, and what that should do, not make us feel bad, not condemn us, not make us beat ourselves up, but it should just drive us closer and closer to Jesus. And Jesus, I need you more. I realize now I need you more than I did. I realized it yesterday. Uh, man, I realize now I need you even more. I realize now I need you anymore. And that should just drive us closer and closer into Jesus. We should trust him more and more with our lives as we realize how much we need him. Trusting in him to save us and not our own ability to do what's right. And as we do this, the amazing thing is God does begin to change our nature. You know, I'm talking about it's human nature to figure out how can I get around these rules? How can I make these rules not apply to me? But the closer we get to God, the closer we get to God and, and, and God's living in us and through us by his Holy Spirit, he changes our nature where we want to do what pleases him. We don't want to see how we can break every kind of rule or how we can get away with this or that uh, without whatever. But we want to live in a way that pleases him. And we want to love him and we want to love other people and treat them well. Um, God changes our nature. He shapes us and molds our desires to be more like him. As the Jeremiah the prophet prophesied, and this will be our last verse tonight, uh, there's a new covenant that we have in Jesus where God now writes his law upon our hearts. Instead of just being laws chiseled into some stone, laws written out on a scroll and a book on your phone to just read and obey, when you're in a relationship with God, he's writing those laws on your heart. He's changing, you know, if your heart's a computer, man, he's changing the, the source code there of your heart where you begin wanting different things. You desire different things. You don't desire selfish prideful, sinful stuff. You want to desire man, more of God in your life. Desire things that please Him. You want to be used by Him to love other people and bless other people and help other people. Um, this is what it says in Jeremiah verse 31. I'm sorry, Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 33. This is the covenant I'll make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I'll put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Um, it says that Moses' covenant was for a season, for, 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 for God's chosen people for that season. But after a time, I'm going to do even better. You're going to have a better covenant. I'm going to write it upon your hearts. I'm going to live in you and through you by my Holy Spirit. So God set up a people for himself, right? He, he's, he, he's called a people, uh, starting with Abraham, going down through the, the, the people that Moses led out of captivity. Um, he set up a people, a nation for himself. He's called them out of slavery, and he's called them into a covenant relationship with him. And it's a relationship that you and I get to enjoy today. Um, and it's an even better covenant than what they had because it's a covenant of faith in Jesus. It's not about, man, I've got to keep all these rules. Um, but it's about, man, I want to trust Jesus to save me. And Holy Spirit, change my heart to where I want to keep these rules. Where I want to obey these things. Not that I have to so that you'll accept me. You already accept me, so I want to live in a way that pleases you. Um, so to kind of wrap up this section here, talking about for our good always, and, and the law, and, and the exodus, God leading the people into the promised land. Um, in Numbers, and Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, we see Israel um, and spend some time in the wilderness, 40 years in the wilderness, just wandering around. Um, in Joshua, we see, we see God leading 
uh, then into taking the promised land and judges, we see the establishing of, of, of a nation of people ruled by, uh, led by prophets and, and, and judges that would kind of lead the people and help the people uh, to, to, to know God and call, call them back to God. Um, in two weeks, we're going to look what happens when, when these people began to demand a king, when they look around and say, hey, uh, other nations have kings. God, why don't we have a king? We think a king would be really cool. Uh, God says, you've got something even better going on. I don't know why you want that. But we'll talk about that in two weeks. Next week, uh, we're going to hear from Jackie. Um, Jackie's going to talk about God's heart towards the rest of the world and one of the most famous stories in all the Old Testament. It's really exciting. That'll be next week, um, and I can't wait for you guys to hear that. We'll be back here, back here in the build room next week. I'm going to pray um, that God will really help us to understand. There's a lot tonight, a lot to chew on. Uh, again, this kind of greatest hit track of the Old Testament, if you guys are really going to get the takeaway about God's heart for us, man, all this stuff that we see here, um, all this symbolic stuff, all these rules, just know that it's, it's for your good. All the things that God's laid out here, it's for your good always. God has the best in mind for you. God loves you, um, and the instructions he gives you are for your good. And, and this imagery we have there of the Passover meal uh, and the symbolism there of the way he sent his son Jesus to die for us so that judgment could pass over us so we could be made right with God, not by keeping a lot of rules, but because of what Jesus did for us. Amen? You guys bow your heads. Um, Father God, I thank you for, for your word. Um, God, I know it's a lot to chew on tonight. And Holy Spirit, would you just help us to kind of unpack these concepts over the next few days, God? God, help us to think on uh, and the ways that, that, that we know we don't measure up, God. Uh, the, the ways that we know that we're falling short, God, even myself. Uh, and how desperately we need you, Jesus, to save us. Holy Spirit, if there's anything in particular, God, that you're putting on anybody's heart, um, that, you're, that you're, you're putting a finger on, uh, a place that we need to, to, to turn to you, uh, something that we need to lay down, stop doing, turn away from, God. Holy Spirit, as you're, as you're convicting us, God, help us with your strength to stop doing that. God, would you change our hearts, change our desires? Uh, give us hearts that want to please you, that want to honor you, God, that want to love you and love the people around us, that want to do what's right, God. And keep our lives holy and pleasing in your sight. Holy Spirit, would you come write your law in our hearts? Would you shape us and mold us to be the men and women of God that you want us to be? Help us to trust completely in Jesus to save us and not our own ability to do right and wrong. How would you draw people into relationship with you? Holy Spirit, would you work on hearts? God, we want to thank you. We want to express gratitude and thanks for all that you've done for us. Thank you for calling us out of slavery, the bondage we had to sin and to death. Thank you for calling us out of that and into life and relationship with you. Thank you, Jesus, for, for giving us instructions on a better way to live and help us to follow, uh, follow your law and obey it, God, and live in a way that pleases you and that brings blessing upon our life. God, we love you. God, I pray that you'd encourage the students here tonight. Um, God, each and every one of us are going through junk. Uh, each and every one of us are, are in a fight of some kind uh, to different degrees, God. And I pray that you would strengthen and encourage the students here, that you would be near to them, God, uh, that experience your presence and your nearness, Lord, um, experience your peace and your joy, God. Uh, and I pray that you would bless the community of Chi Alpha, God. Help us to be a family to one another, to love and encourage one another, really be there for one another in difficult situations, God. We love you, Lord. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, Chips and salsa and queso and back and then be back in here next week